0: New troubles have arisen in Gotham City. First, there's a new supervillain in town, Mr. Freeze, a former doctor whose blood is laced with cryogenic liquid, causing him to be cold in look and feeling, who plans to freeze Gotham until he gets the money needed to finish finding the cure for a mysterious disease that has stricken his wife. Second, Poison Ivy, a villainess with luscious lips full of venom has arrived in Gotham with her hulking servant Bane with plans to team up with Freeze and prepare the way for genetically enhanced plants. Third, Ivy has caused a rift between the partnership of the Dark Knight and the Boy Wonder and finally Alfred, Batman's trusted butler, has developed the same disease that Freeze's wife has. It is in this time of need that a new partner, Batgirl, steps forward to help the two rid the city of evil once more. Ciao my people, and welcome to our 23rd episode of Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast where we cover superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had a theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Batman and Robin. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. And before I introduce our illustrious co-host, guest co-host today, who will be joining me, I wanted to take a moment to send a big shout-out to Gibby, Lewis and Vinny from the Haber listen podcast for the shout-out they gave to us on their show. And of course, I would like to return the favour by saying that any of our listeners who are hockey fans, and especially fans of the Montreal Canadiens, be sure to check out the Haber Listen podcast. It's incredibly entertaining and informative. So thanks again, guys, for the great shout out. That said, back to our regularly scheduled program with me today to discuss the most maligned movie featuring the Cape Crusader and the Boy Wonder is one of the hosts of the Geek Set podcast and
1: great rapper Young Deuces. Hey, Deuces, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, as you know, as always living the dream, you know, just trying to make things happen fresh off of, you um, anime uh mke uh, anime convention out here in uh in milwaukee so you know i'm 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 in the moment i'm in the moment you know i'm in the moment of to, to discuss more geeky properties nerdy properties and just you know be a part of the culture and we're super happy to
0: have you. And uh, so today we're reviewing Batman and Robin from 97, you know, directed yeah. by Joel Schumacher, who our listeners might know from having directed films like St. Elmo's Fire, The Lost Boys, Flatliners and, of course, Batman Forever. The film was written by Akiva Goldsman, who our listeners might know from A Beautiful Mind, I Robot, I Am Legend and Cinderella Man. The score was by Elliot Goldenthal, who scored films like Frida, Alien 3, Demolition Man, A Time to Kill, and many more. It stars George Clooney as Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, Chris O'Donnell as Dick Grayson, Robin, Alicia Silverstone as Barbara Wilson, Batgirl, Michael Goth as Alfred Pennyworth, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Dr. Victor Freeze, Mr. Freeze, Uma Thurman as Pamela Isley, a.k.a. Poison Ivy, and Robert Swenson as Bane. So on estimates, deuces, this film cost anywhere between 160 and 225 million dollars to make, and it made 238.2 million at the box office. So certainly not a great return for this fourth Batman movie outing. But my question is, of all the films that you know you could you could choose, what
1: made you decide and go for Batman and Robin? Well, so the reason why I chose Batman and Robin, um, so the, the, I got kind of like a love hate relationship with the Batman movies from the 90s. Because the one thing that um, I love about the old Batman movies is that Gotham feels like Gotham. So I believe that Gotham is a character itself. So though I love the, you know, the Dark Knight series, the, the Gotham and the Dark Knight series for me, just, it didn't, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't, it didn't feel like Gotham. It felt like a regular city, right? So I like mm-hmm. the dark gloominess of those old campy Batman movies that we got in the 90s. Um, though there was a lot wrong with this Batman and Robin movie, and though it's like, you know, revered by a lot of the fans, there's 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 some moments that I'm like, okay, I, I'm okay with, based off of the time, put it in, in context. Um, and plus it's still, it's still a good, fun story to talk about, as far as like the movie, as far as the campiness that we got into it, the the horrible ice puns. There's just so much to, as far as the discussion piece. There's so much to discuss about this movie, so that's why I chose it.
0: Well, I, I you know, that that's definitely great, um, you know, great things for sure. And I actually did have a premise to give when it comes to this film. Is like a lot of hardcore Batman fans. When this film came out, I was among those clamoring for Joel Schumacher's head. As I felt it was a deep, it, you know, because I kind of felt it was a deep insult to something I so loved and meant so much to me. But going into the rewatch with super low expectations may have somewhat tempered my feelings of ire that so filled my young adult self. How did you feel on this rewatch? I mean, were you like me kind of when you first saw it? What did Joel Schumacher do? Or,
1: you know, did you actually enjoy it? So I kind of it was like, it was a roller coaster cuz I remember so I was a kid kid when I watched this the, the first time and I remember loving it right so then as I got older and I watched it again I was like oh man it was really bad so then I became on the hate train as well So this 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 uh this this go around watching it again I said you know what I'm going to take away from that and I'm just going to just kind of put myself in that moment and try to see try to Try as hard as I can to see his vision and see what was going on to it. Now, granted, it was it still wasn't the best, but I was open to a lot of different things, you know, moving forward from that. So <laughs> no, certainly, no, of course, because you know, I actually went and
0: listened to the uh, the audio commentary uh, from Joel Schumacher when I actually watched this, and it, it's interesting that he's incredibly apologetic all the way through the
1: film. <laughs> you know, well. I, <laughs> It's funny. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say it's funny because like knowing the properties that we love now. So knowing how much like you know, you love Batman, Robin, and just in general, right? The opening scene really sets the tone and lets you know what you're getting into. <laughs> Cause it's just like the very, very like uh cringe like dress scene. Cause it's like, you know, you get the close up on the suit, but then like they you know, that's your first glance at the bat nipples. I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't remember. You have to. Yeah, and then they get a close up on George Clooney, but and then it's just like, you know, then you see like the mascara on the eyes. Like it's just, it's, it's once you start seeing all that, you're like, oh my God, all right, like, this is what we're dealing with. <laughs> <laughs> exactly,
0: you know, and the fact was apparently Schumacher wanted to make Batman year one. But apparently this is what the studio wanted from him and what his mission was. And his mission was mainly to entertain. And this is what he keeps saying throughout the commentary. And, um, you know, let's also take, and also we have to take into account that Jim Carrey's performance as the Riddler in Batman Forever had gone down so well that both Joel Schumacher and screenwriter Akiva Goldsman were asked to up the comedic element. And on yeah. the heels, of course, of the success that Batman Forever had had, they were also approached by tons of toy companies. You know, yes. they wanted to use this film as a vehicle to sell as many toys as possible. So it's, this film is very toyetic. I mean, speaking actually of the toyetic nature, did you
1: feel like they were trying to sell you toys in this film? Oh yeah, it felt like a huge mcdonald's ad i mean they gave all the one-liners to all the characters so that so now you know there was toys there was they were literally saying oh we're gonna make a toy that says this we're gonna make a toy that says this like that's literally what they're doing <laughs> exactly go, And yeah you might go gave them the action chop you can press the button on the back of the toy and they action chop <laughs> Exactly. And plus the vehicles, you know, because, of course, you have the Batmobile, which was very
0: toyetic and Mr. Freeze's vehicle. So and, uh, you know, but with you, like like you said, with Ghost Rider, like we did with Ghost Rider last week, I went into this rewatch doing my best to free myself of that angered young adult I was at the time. (laughs) So here we go. And so I also invite folks out there to rewatch it as almost a modernized version of Batman 66, a Batman 66 TV series. It helps tons, believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so let's start with looking at our third cinematic version of the Cape Crusader, if of course you don't count Adam West, Lewis G. Wilson and Robert Lowry, George Clooney as Bruce Wayne, Batman. Of course, our listeners will know him from E.R., From Dusk Till Dawn, Out of Sight, Ocean's Eleven. And unlike Chris O'Donnell, who reprised his role from Batman Forever, Val Kilmer did not return. As in the words of Joel Schumacher, he sort of quit and we sort of fired him. (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what that what kind of comment that is but okay but while kilmer said he was not aware of what was going on and he'd already signed on to be in the saint that year so when it comes to
1: george clooney what did you think first off as his bruce wayne well so i mean it's george clooney so as far as the swab being cool i mean it's, it's hard to get cooler than clooney sometimes so i mean i was okay with him as bruce because he had to play the millionaire playboy and, you know, just had to be able to swoon the ladies, right? So I'm like, all right, I can believe that coming from Clooney because that's who he is. But what I didn't like as his Bruce, is just in general, like with the the back and forth that he had with Dick, just in general in regards to like the ladies, like I felt like that was out of Bruce's character. Bruce didn't really have to compete with the women and they made him have somebody, to even though they were under Poison Ivy's control. It's still just like, I don't know, like there was aspects that I'm like, oh, I like that Bruce. But then there was aspects like ah, that don't feel like the Bruce that I'm used to. Mm, Well, I totally agree with you because this is actually like you were saying a perfect Bruce
0: Wayne. He has all the charm, the looks, the charisma that you think a billionaire playboy should have. And is more than serviceable as we see that he's heavily involved. He's also heavily involved in charity work. And he kind of reminded me of like a 90s Elon Musk kind of, you know, giving money to scientific research for the new telescope at Gotham Observatory, which is kind of the Chekhov's gun in this film, as it will serve for Mr. Freeze's evil scheme of freezing Gotham later in the film. And we also have (laughs) the yeah, and we also have the the uh, the Playboy charade as well, because he's dating Julie Madison, who's played by none other than the body herself, Elle McPherson. Who mm-hmm. in the comics is is actually Bruce's first big romance. Did you like the relationship between Bruce
1: and um, and Julie Madison? I mean, it was okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. I do not So, because. That I mean I, I I guess I didn't put too much stock into that that romance as much because I knew what else was was out there to to, to come I mean so but I mean it was it was it was sellable like it, like, like I was able to it was, like, I was able to believe it but it, I guess I didn't I I wasn't that invested in it. Mm. And and I thought it was actually a rather interesting choice, you know, to have Elle McPherson
0: of all people, you know, because seeing what in, in, and that Bruce and the relationship, you know, seeing what Julie says about her and Bruce's relationship to the press, you must think they must have been dating for quite some time, you know, since oh, yeah. Batman, you know, because since Batman Forever, you know, she's pretty much wanting him to pop the question, or I wonder whether it's her way of forcing his hand when it comes to slapping a ring on her finger, you know, because. We don't get much of the relationship to really warrant an opinion like you were saying, but I thought it was a nice, touching, interesting concept. And we do, of course, get the impression that Judy is that stereotype kind of bombshell with no brains. You know, so it right. looks like Bruce almost doesn't have to even make an effort to conceal his identity <laughs> from her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, you know, I've got to go away and do this. I've got to go away and do that. And she's like, she's never, ever wondering, you know, could it be that he leads a
1: double life? Yeah. right, yeah, right she doesn't she doesn't pose the question for that at all, but yeah and, and you don't feel the sense like, oh man, you're walking on eggshells, Bruce. you gotta watch it like yeah, she doesn't give you like she can like she's she's gonna figure it out that's exactly it, you know, when it comes to and, and when
0: instead you know when it came to this the Batman in this film, did mm-hmm. you like this did you like this
1: batman this Batman no <laughs> <laughs> I did not like this Batman at all this is this is one of my my least, if not the least favorite Batman. Mm. I just didn't. So like my, the Batman, like when I think about Batman, like, I don't know. Like I didn't fear him in the cow, in the Batman suit and everything. There was, there wasn't no fear. Like, you know, when you think about Batman and all the Batmans, the best ones, like, you know, when he shows up on the scene, the villains, they go, oh, it's the bat. And like they run. And I felt like this Batman would not invoke that. Granted, he had some good entrance scenes, but I felt like it wasn't like, oh, no, it's the Bat. It was just like, you know, it just I didn't fear the fear of Batman that I like in my Batmans.
0: Very well said, because as you were saying, you know, when it comes to this Batman, you know, I find he's very much like I was saying earlier, the 90s modernized version of the 60s TV show Batman. You know, minus the gut and the eyebrows. And we have this kind of figure praising Kevlar suit with the nipples, which was absolutely worthy, and <laughs> as, as you were saying, you know, no brooding Batman, as you know, he's very much a pop version of the character, you know, yeah. he plays that almost kind of dead, uh, that very paradistic deadpan seriousness, you know, it's like his 60s counterpart, we get all the crazy and convenient gadgets, you know, no sharp propellants, but we get the mini buzzsaw, the heat ray, and dozens <laughs> of other little, little gadgets, which are certainly worthy of that TV show, and of course, they're trying to sell Toys, but they oh. were also trying to sell us
1: credit cards. What was with the bat credit card? <laughs> <laughs> I, it was, I knew I knew we was going to get there. That and see, I, this is where I think like Joe Schumacher just went like crazy with it because you know the joke always been oh with Batman you just throw bat in front of it and that's what you get. You got the bat plane, you got the bat wing, you got like whatever it is you throw bat in it. I just felt like Joe, Joe Schumacher was like, yep, you know what? That's what we're going to do. We're going to throw bat in front of everything. Bat credit card. Back phone, bet this, back that. and I think he just went too crazy with it. <laughs> exactly. And of course, I guess, you know, since
0: maybe, you know, MasterCard, I think it was was the card was trying to, you know, get them to want it to be on the, on the movie at all costs. They're like, how can we put, uh, you know, MasterCard somehow in this? It would have almost made more sense if they'd had Bruce Wayne doing it because, you know if granted maybe i'm overthinking this but if batman uses a credit card
1: wouldn't they be able to trace the payments to bruce's account yep <laughs> that is exactly what it was you know that that answers the age-old question about like with the Batcave, because it's like okay so maybe they were maybe that maybe the people just wasn't searching that hard enough because and like you think about the Batcave with all the gadgets and gizmos Somebody had to put it together. Somebody had to purchase and get all the equipment to make the, the back computer and everything that they made. How did they pay for it? And if they used the back card, how come nobody, nobody uh, traced it back? Like <laughs> exactly. You know, and they actually gave
0: us a good answer in the Nolan films. You know, because they were saying, "Well, you go through various dummy companies and stuff, yeah, yeah, so yeah,
1: yeah.
0: nobody will be able to trace us. But here it's like, "Boom! We'll just use a back card, of course." Right. <laughs> 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 and so, and, and of course, let's be honest here, you know, Batman has worn many different capes throughout his 80 plus year span. You know, he's gone from dark and broody to grinning and fun loving. And just like, you know, Dr. Who or James Bond, you know, we all have our favorite, which may not necessarily be everybody's favourite. And I believe, you know, and I'll probably get uh, lambasted for this, but I think that even this Batman has a place in the, in in the world, in that world, you know, I mean, he may be the red-headed stepchild of the family, <laughs> But I think it's the I think that's the best way to put it. So I can see where Schubacker was coming from this version, though like you, he is definitely not my favorite Batman. So from Batman, let's head on over to the Boy Wonder, Chris O'Donnell as Dick Grayson, Robin. Our listeners might know him from Scent of a Woman, The Three Musketeers, Cookie's Fortune, and of course NCIS Los Angeles. Right. Now, when it comes to the Boy Wonder, as it were, Deuces, what did you think of this Robin?
1: So this is this like it it had promise like Chris I was not upset with the casting of Chris O'Donnell even going into it the second time, but they made him such a brat like so so Nightwing in general Dick Grayson Nightwing that's one of my favorite characters in all of DC like I really like Nightwing right so going into this and watching this and seeing how Robin act I was like ah I don't see him breaking away and becoming Nightwing like. They like that that because like if you know the story of Nightwing, one like one of the re- reasons that he kind of breaks away from Batman is because like Batman pushes people away. Batman doesn't really trust people, and Dick's like I don't want to live like that. I like having people around. I like loving people, and I want to do my own thing. I no longer want to be in your shadow, right? So like mm-hmm. in this movie, in Batman and Robin, they tried to play onto that, but like the reasoning behind it wasn't the same reasoning, like. He got influenced by Poison Ivy. Then it was like the fight over the girl, and then he was just like really whiny and bratty. And it's just like there was, it, it was like it could have been promised. Like I like the look look the part. I can see him being Robin. I can see him transitioning to Nightwing. But he just didn't play the part as well. It just came off not so good, not done well at all. Well, you
0: make a very interesting point, because I was going to add to this, that this is, was obviously, you know, the only, this has been the only Robin we have had in modern films, you know, if you discount yes. the keys that we had in The Dark Knight Rises with John Blake, but he never really becomes Robin. Right. Um, I would, I would almost describe this Robin as Burt Ward on steroids. In this case, Schumacher and Goldsman wanted to give us a rougher, more 90s bad boy. But I felt he reminded you said, you know, he didn't really see Dick Grayson in him. Neither did I. I saw more of a Jason Todd in this. Yes,
1: exactly. Jason Todd for sure.
0: You know, because it's because granted, Dick and Batman have butted heads in the comics. But this version of Dick has all the recklessness and rebellious spirit, which is more at home with Jason Todd. Yeah. You know, it's a funny. And here's a funny experiment that I actually did. I don't know if you tried this. What if I have you watched the TV series Titans?
1: Yes. Yes, I have.
0: Could you see Curran Walters, who plays Jason Todd in the TV series Titans, grow up to become Chris O'Donnell's Batman? (laughs) <laughs> yes. yes it, it, it fits perfect. I didn't even think about that. It does fit perfect. Yeah, because in fact, so I kept seeing Jason Todd. And also another problem I have with this Robin is, isn't he a little too old to be Robin? Oh, as, definitely <laughs> was. You know, as aside from the fact that Chris was 27 when he played this character, I felt that the nickname Boy Wonder didn't really suit him at this point, as this is a 27 <laughs> grown man.
1: Yes, yeah. Like, he, he looked like he should have been Don in the Nightwing um, uh, uh, outfit already. Like, that, He definitely was already that, of, of that age. Yeah, so I just
0: thought it was a little bit weird in that sense. But all in all, I enjoyed this, Robin. But he did seem like you were saying to whine a heck of a lot and act like mm-hmm. a spoiled brat which on this
1: older Robin almost looked very childish and out of place. It did. And that's and that's why I couldn't connect to it. Because that, that's the one thing about the, the old 90s movies that I think is like, they definitely try to go fan service. So they were like, okay, this is who the people like. This is who the people want. Let's give the people this. But I don't think the intent... The, the attention to detail, like that we get now, like usually now, somebody gets the property, they do, you know, attentive research. They read a lot of comics, they watch a lot of the shows, and they try to, uh, they try to figure out what this character is. I'm almost, I'm almost thinking that Chris O'Donnell, when he got the role, he probably read a couple of comic books, read whatever the director's notes were, um, and then it's like, okay, I'm going to just add mine to it <laughs> and take it from there. <laughs> It wasn't. So, and, that, and that's why I think we got what we got, because on the surface, if you look at it, you're like, oh, OK, so Robin, he kind of bickers back and forth with Batman. All right. Bingo. Got that. But not understanding what the real reason it is. So now you're bickering for nothing because you don't understand why Dick really did argue with Bruce. <laughs> and that's why that's- we got.
0: Exactly. And that's why I say, you know, it just seems like he's throwing hissy fits throughout the, the movie. And I'm like, enough. You know, grow up. You're 27. Yeah. But anyway, speaking out of out-of-place things, one of the big gripes and criticisms in this film was the newest introduction to the Bat family, Alicia Silverstone as Barbara Wilson's Batgirl. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of young boys, though, discovered they were men with, when it came to Alicia Silverstone after her three appearances in the three Aerosmith videos, Crying, Crazy, and, of course, Amazing. Right. And many, her, of course, remember her in her role in Clueless. Well, when it comes to this Batgirl, what did we think, Deuces? Were you happy with this Batgirl?
1: <laughs> no, I was not. Well... <laughs> Because, you know, when you think about, like, also, like, you know, Batgirl, like, again, I start looking into, like, where the characters go, where the characters become, and I, so I start thinking about the Oracle, and I'm just like, I can't see, I did not see Alicia Silverstone becoming dawning or just even just being Oracle at all.
0: Mm, Well, you make a very good point there. And one thing that also, carrying on with the modern version of Batman 66, because I'm going this this route, because if not, I cannot justify this film. Um, So (laughs) so I would say, looking at the uh, modern version of Batman 66, I think, though Schumacher avows that he and Goldsman had no intention of homaging this TV series, I very much see this Batgirl as Yvonne Craig, from the sixties with a revamped nineties vibe as, you know, she's more self-assertive. She can kick butt when needs be. And heck she actually saves Robin from plummeting to his death. You know, I don't, I don't mind this version of Batgirl. And I think she fits in well with Clooney's Batman and Donald's Robin. But here is my question is if she's Alfred's niece and is studying in England, wouldn't she have a British accent?
1: Well, yeah. yeah, she definitely should have. <laughs> she definitely should have, especially spending so much time out there. But wait, I want to go back to a point that you made. What's funny is, so you said that she fits with Clooney's Batman. What's funny is, as campy as this movie is, all the characters do fit within this Batman and this this world of Gotham that we've gotten. So it's, it's funny because like it's, if you think execution-wise as far as movie-wise, all the pieces fit. It just... It, it all fit in a bad property. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's that's, that's, that, that's the big problem. In fact, they, they all
0: fit in their own campy way, but it's just, a, it, it's just a mess of a movie at the end of the day. I mean, it's fun, but it's a, definitely a mess. Yeah. And <laughs> another gripe with this character was that Alicia was not in shape enough to be Batgirl. And that apparently there are stories that costume designers had to rework her costume in order to accommodate her figure. I mean... Do you think that, you know, uh, physically she embodied back this was a, a Batgirl that one could, you know, follow and that one could say, ah, oh, she's very attractive? Or didn't she? She did nothing for you in that sense.
1: Well, see, yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, what? so I, I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't. Um, when I looked at Batgirl, I mean, I got, so if you think about the comics in the comics in Batgirl, her waistline is way so it's so small so in order to get that like you literally would have had to have been somebody that's either been training to be something like this like I feel like that's a unrealistic comparison comparison so like I mean I get it like if the thing is is like outside of the the difference between guys being superheroes is, is literally just you got to get the muscles you got to bulk up but when you have certain women superheroes and how they were drawn back in the day or just in drawn in general they were drawn with Small waist, you know, some of them had some big hips, you know, some of them, of course, also had overly, overly emphasized uh, bust. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, so when I think about Batgirl, I don't think her figure or how that was that played a big part in my imagining of the character. I I generally literally just was like, OK, that is, what, what is is she smart? Does she have the attitude? Can she kick butt? Like that was more so the portrayal of Batgirl for me outside of that.
0: Well, no, definitely. And I think, you know, when it comes to that, she does hold her own within this within the Schumacher verse, let's say. Yep. Um, and, you know, and also appreciated her attachment to her uncle and, fa- and how far ahead was And you also have to think about Alfred being so, thinking so far ahead that there would actually be a woman in the back family. I mean, right. it's like <laughs> how, how many steps ahead Alfred is, and we'll get to Alfred here eventually. But the, <laughs> other, the other point I wanted to make is there's a rather a uh, moment when Barbara looks at Bruce and Dick in her costume and says, it's me, Barbara. And my reaction was always you know why why did you say that? you know what I mean I, I was like, you know, because you would think
1: that if Batman is the great detective he is, he would have figured it out immediately right I don't know it's, it's one of like I said it's one of those things because like yeah you, you didn't have to you didn't have to say the name at all, but I wonder I, I wonder did they did they think that the audience wouldn't catch it and that's why that or I don't know I, I guess I, I I'm not for sure why that that part was even there
0: yeah because I mean because you can clearly tell it's it's Alicia Silverstone that it's Barbara I mean you should know she doesn't even try to you know put on a wig or anything it's her in a costume with a, with a domino mask you know so it's right. like it's kind of you know kind of obvious who you are but aside from that you know I, I, I was just kind of like come on <laughs> Batman you're supposed to be the greatest world's greatest detective and you didn't figure it out shame on you um, but let's so we talked a little bit about uh, about um, Barbara's uncle let's get to dear Uncle Alfred played for the last time by Michael goth what yes. did you think of Alfred in this film did
1: you like this Alfred so I wasn't I, I wasn't as upset with this Alfred I mean he plays a good role as far as just you know being... Um, you know, Batman's guide. So, you know, being being the Alfred to this Batman, um, but you know, it's just like with Alfred, depending on which depiction of Alfred you get, it depends on like what type of um, commitment that you need, right? Because like there's there's the Alfred that does jump in and help out every now and then. It's very, very um, hands-on with kind of like, you know, what's going on with Batman, but then there's like the, the Alfred that's truly just the aid to Batman, and in this one, like I I was okay with this with this portrayal of of Alfred, because I I guess um, going in, I wasn't looking for the bigger roles of Alfred that we've seen in some of the comics and in some of the other storylines that we got. So this one was just truly like just like the A to that Batman, and I was okay with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, and I think you know, he was very much the heart of the film, you know, I as yeah. I, un, unabashedly can say that I love this Alfred that, as he had been one of the few constants from Batman 1989 all the way to here, you know. So I feel that us as fans have kind of grown with Alfred and grown to love him, you know, because he's such a soldier, not wanting to worry Bruce and Dick about his illness.
1: Mm-hmm. And once
0: again... Once again, you know, you'd think that Bruce, being the great detective, he would have figured out that Alfred was sick, but he doesn't acknowledge it till Barbara brings it up during her talk with Dick. He's like, "Oh, he's dying." I
1: <laughs> come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, in in a couple of storylines, one that's that's one of the constant things is because, like, they if you think about Alfred, Alfred has been around Bruce and for so long that even though bruce is the world's greatest detective alfred knows what probably how to tiptoe around him so like i've always even like they've always played into that even in some of the um the cartoons and everything where bruce is so focused on helping so many other people and helping and saving gotham that he doesn't really pay attention to those that are closest to him as much as he should and if the one person that can get around bruce's detection would be alfred so like even though like I agree with you, as him being the world's major detective, he definitely should have, um, should have known that. If you go, if, if you dive deeper into the lore of Batman and Alfred's, uh, well, Bruce's and Alfred's relationship, it does make sense a little bit. But also to counteract that, in this movie, they didn't really dive into that. They didn't dive into Alfred as you know, as, as him being as savvy as he is in real life. Exactly,
0: you know, because we saw him maybe more as Bruce's caretaker because we had seen, they had those little flashbacks of Bruce, you know, remembering, you know, Alfred taking care of him as a kid and stuff. And and so I I guess, you know, that they did, like you said, focus on that. And you do make a good point that probably Alfred is one of the few people who's able to pull a fast one over Bruce and knows kind of how to, you know, pull the war over his eyes. But that said, I love this Alfred, you know, loyal to the end and always the source of wisdom. I think we see even more why Bruce is the way he is and what a great mentor Alfred was to him especially when it comes to understanding other people. And uh, as I mentioned before, you know, you have to hand it to him how far ahead he planned when it came to Barbara, and heck, who knew that Alfred could design costumes?
1: Right. <laughs> I didn't think that that was a thing, but apparently so. <laughs> Cause I it's we, like, the, yep. the, it's, usually, it's usually Lucius that does it, right? Exactly, they, they, I guess they didn't want to put in Lucius Fox, so they said, Alfred can do everything. <laughs> Well, I think at that time, too, I mean, again, this is me trying to go into trying to be open to it. At that time, Lucius wasn't as prominent as he is now. So I think that at that time, like I said, the, the the common moviegoer wouldn't know who Lucius is in that Batman world unless she was already indulged into the comic books and the lore of it.
0: Very true. I suppose at this point they probably did yeah. not want to maybe go back and give us Lucius Fox. It's a shame, you know, but of course
1: yeah.
0: we, we were blessed enough to have a wonderful Morgan Freeman play Lucius Fox in later films and, and what a what yeah. what a great job he did of that. And before we get to the to the villains here, Deuces, I did want to actually mention something here because you also being a rapper yourself,
1: what do you think of Coolio being in this film? <laughs> <laughs> so that I just I chalked that up to like just nineties. Like relatability, because when you watch a lot of '90s movies and just in general, there's always just that random rapper that pops into it. There's always like a, a somebody that just pops up into it, like, "Hey, hey look at look who's here!" and it's to, to connect. But awesome to to my to my uh, to this defense, if there was a rapper at that time that would be in Gotham, it would be Coolio. <laughs> Well, <laughs> for sure. I mean, you can see where he might have found the idea for writing Gangster's Paradise, you know, because in Gotham, right, it we right? Right. Gotham's Paradise, right? And then, of course, I mean, they had him, I mean, he had him with the ladies. I mean, so yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things that if anybody was to pop up, it would be Coolio.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was happy to see him too, because also as a kid growing up in the 90s, you know, I, I also had my, my, my Coolio phase and I owned a few of his albums and stuff. So I was happy to see him, but I was just like, okay. We get Coolio. Nice. (laughs) And uh, speaking of flamboyant choices and designs, let's head on over to the bit of this side of the spectrum to start off. Another reason that Bat fans were so infuriated, Robert Swenson as Bane. Now, he's known more as being a professional wrestler. In fact, no surprise, he was in the Hulk Hogan film, No Holds Barred. But at least cinematically, he's known principally for this. So I don't know how much of a fan of Bane you are, as in the comics and other iterations, but how do you feel about this, the way Bane was portrayed in this film? Well, so,
1: <sighs> so you know what? Have you watched the show Gotham? Indeed I have, yes. I was actually a huge fan of that, of that series. Me too. I was as well. But this is where I, I, I hate what they do with certain characters. So the way that they did Solomon Grundy in Gotham, Right. Mm-hmm. And kind of like they made him like the zombie, like, 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 but then they gave him like some type of uh, they gave him some like some some smarts to it. But like the one thing about Solomon Grundy is like, you know, even though he was brute force, like he was able to like really focus on it and do it right. And this movie, the way that they did Bang, like, OK, I, I was OK with the character design because they, they went more comic book with the character design. But they just made him like a dumb oath, and I did not like it. <laughs> Because Bane was like, he's like, you know, like, Bane, even though, like I said, he's buff and he's big and he, t- he is like truly like the the muscle henchman. Um, he took away his smarts. He do have some smarts to him. And I didn't like that in this movie. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't show me that at all. You
0: make a good point because they could have actually, you know, and I think many people thought this, you could have actually just caught, you know put Solomon Grundy in the film. Because in the comics, you know, Solomon Grundy is kind of more like this Bane, because he kind of yeah. grunts and says mm-hmm. random things. You can't really string two words together. But in, in this case, no matter how hard I try to go into this film as popcorn fair, I just can't wrap my head around this version of Bane.
1: No, me either.
0: You know, because apparently the villains the villains in this film were chosen by Joel Schumacher's six-year-old godson who was a huge (laughs) fan of the Batman animated series. And that's a wonderful TV series. And apparently he was a huge fan of Bane, Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze. And we can't blame him. But hearing Joel Schumacher describe Bane as just a big, scary monster, you can tell the man has not done his homework. Not at all. Yeah. You know, as he got the concept of Venom right and the costume. But, you know, like you said, why turn him into a mindless, sorry, excuse for muscle in just a luchador get up you know it's just like here i think it was almost like fan service at its most vile almost yes you know they put him in his costume but it's like you know kind of grunting was just terrible and (laughs) as Bane (laughs) is more than just muscle you know as like you said because he's actually rather intelligent and even philosophical and Mm -hmm. so here's what is where i draw the line as seeing this was not meant to be a parody and i understand you want to give ivy a goon but not bane you know, why not just give us a made-up, muscle-bound man, like, I, like we were saying, or heck, give Bane a personality and have him fall under Ivy's spell. Yeah. And that was another big plot hole. Why does Bane follow her blindly? I mean, do you have an answer
1: for that one? No, not at all. <laughs> because... Yeah, I, that that's where I where like I said we draw the line that's where I kind of got lost with Bane cuz I was like okay all right well they're going to make him a muscle or let me accept that he's just only muscle but then i was like but why is he following Poison Ivy <laughs> you know cuz they could
0: have maybe have shown her doing her pheromone thing with him as well but we never see her do it she's like you know let's go bane let's do this let's do that and he just follows her so it's that was a little bit of a plot hole, or rather a big plot hole, I but, think. But there was a
1: big plot hole. There was a couple <laughs> of them in there.
0: Yeah, multiple plot holes in this film for sure. So let's get to the green girl herself, Uma Thurman's <laughs> Pamela Isley, Poison Ivy. Of course, you know, our listeners will know her from Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction, Le Miserable, Robin Hood, etc. So you, you uh, I, from what I gathered, Deuces, you were also a fan of Batman, the animated series, and of Gotham. You know, having seen that and seeing this Poison Ivy, did you like this Poison Ivy?
1: I did not. I think that they just went, they went overly sexual for her, even though Poison Ivy does have a sexual aspect to her. I feel like that's all they focused on. They were like, oh, well, she likes plants and she's sexy. So let's get Uma Thurman. Uma just go all the way with the the sexy and the seductiveness. And I think that that was was all they wrote for this character. (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's very true, you know, because uh, this version of poison ivy, as much as Joel Schumacher denies it, has to have been inspired from the '60s TV show, as oh. <laughs> the exaggeratedly sexual femme fatale figure. You know, I got more of a Catwoman vibe from this poison ivy. Yes. you know, almost you know, like Julie, Julie Newmar, or Eartha Kitt, or Lee Merriweather, You know, it was, it was very much a Batman '60s villainess.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> like I mean, when you when you dive deeper into what Poison Ivy's goal is, or in just in general, it's the, the preservation of all plant life. She views plants higher than humans. So the, the seductiveness that she uses when she does use it, it is not just randomly just to do it, just to take over things of that nature. It, it's more of a defense mechanism you know if she can't convince somebody to to value the plants the way that she values and she views them as a threat then yes she will use her seductiveness at that moment i feel like in this movie in this movie it was just like that was her that was her go to every time oh all right seductive seductive so she just throwing it off everywhere
0: <laughs> exactly it, it, you know, she kept doing that thing it was like okay whatever but um Though aside from that, you know, I have to be honest. As I'm sure there are a lot of women, a lot of men, and women possibly who find Luma Thurman attractive, I did not find her necessarily alluring or sexy in this film. So I guess they failed on that with me. Though I did find her very entertaining and fun. And yeah, though she I was, yeah,
1: you. because she. There's been other movies that she she played the seductive, sexy a little it, better than this one. And that's why I said I think that they. They didn't really give her much to base it off of, so she probably, like I said, she read this. She read the director's note. She probably did a little bit of research into it, and then she just made it herself. And this is what she thought the sexiness was supposed to be. And again, yeah, I don't think they. I don't think that uh, she hit it on the uh, uh, hit the nail on the head with this one. <laughs>
0: Not, not at all. You know, and you know, I I did find her like I said, entertaining. And though she, this actress was before my time, I totally got the Mae West vibe on this character. And we okay. also get a rather dark and jealous side to Ivy, which I wish they had invested more on. You know, because in the moment in which she unplugs Nora Freeze, and also we get to see Ivy's manipulation. I wish we had gotten more of that side of
1: Poison yeah, yeah. Ivy's
0: character, because I thought that is what you know when, when there were those few scenes we got where she did show you know this kind of viciousness to her i was like yeah, yeah that is what i want to see more you know yeah throw the sexiness out give us that because that is interesting
1: yeah
0: you know and but also I, what i found fascinating re-watching this now you know during a time in which eco concerns have become have been brought to the forefront it makes the movie almost relevant you know as some might see this version of Pamela Isley as Greta Thunberg's evil twin, you know. I right. got I got even more of a Greta Thunberg vibe when Pamela Isley visits Bruce Wayne in the pitch to warn the world and speak for the trees mm-hmm. and everybody's laughing at her. For some reason my mind went to, you know, seeing on social media everybody kind of teasing and making fun of Greta when she's trying to make these important points about our planet.
1: Right.
0: And then I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is, at this point, I was, I was actually hooked. I was actually interested. Like, well, it's amazing how old this film is, but now they're making a
1: point which is relevant now. Right. And it's funny because, like, like when you think about that, like, yeah, it that does change how you look at the character. Because, like, I'll, you you often wonder, like, if the superheroes, like, in general, like, if superheroes was in this world. Like, where would social media lie? Because like, I I know we didn't get to, uh, to Mr. Freeze yet. But like, if you think about the whole Victor uh, Freeze and his reason why he's doing what he's doing, I feel like he would have way more sympathy. I feel like there would be a lot of people who would use the hashtag justice for, you know... For, uh, for Victor Freeze, because they, you know, he's trying to save his wife. But then, yeah. But I agree. Like same thing with like Poison Ivy. Like she would just, there would be a lot of people that would be against her because she, her, her focus is the plants, and she'll be preaching and talking to a lot of people about, you know, the preservation of plant life, how important it is, and it'll be, it'll be such a debatable thing. I, I can see political candidates going back and forth with her about it, and yeah, I can definitely see the United Nations not agreeing with her about it. <laughs> Like, it's, a, it's hilarious when you, put, when you start trying to put social aspects of now onto our superhero properties. I think that that, that, that would be an interesting take. <laughs> oh, very much so. And, you know, you,
0: you brought him up. And so I think it's time to address <laughs> the giant ice man in the room, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator himself, as right. Victor Freeze, Mr. Freeze. So <clears throat> now I know this character is probably one of the reasons why everybody hates this film so much. When it comes to you, do you have sympathy for Arnie, or are you another one of those people like get this guy out of here?
1: So, I'm hot take. Um, I'm okay with uh, with with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze, though he's not my Mr. Freeze that I want and and that I know. The reason why I'm okay with it is because I feel like what they did. Here's what here's my here's my theory on how the conversation went. We got. Okay, we got this character, Mr. Freeze. Who are we going to get? Well, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger wants to be in, uh, in a superhero movie. We probably can get him. And then they they, they called him up. They're like, all right, we need to sell. This is going to be a blockbuster movie. And Arnold was like, oh, blockbuster. You know, I know how to do those. You need you need a good one-liner in order to do those. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you multiple one-liners. And I'm going to lean all the way into this. And they were like, great. We're going to sell a whole lot of movies and a whole lot of toys. So I, I'm okay with it because I know... I feel like Arnold didn't, like, he, he didn't really know too much about Mr. Freeze. He knew that he controlled ice, and he said, I'm just going to lean it all the way to the puns, and I'm just going to go all the way into what can sell. And so I'm okay with it. Now, like I said, I'm said, i not saying he's the greatest Mr. Freeze, but I was okay with the puns. <laughs> well, yeah,
0: because you cannot have a cheesier or campier villain, and I've yet to see a villain as cheesy or as campy as this one. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and from, you know, the absolutely terrible puns, we even get the required sex kitten with the terrible misbehaving played by <laughs> Vanita Green. And, and I love Vanita Green. You know, I mean, I, I was, I'm was i a huge fan of Kill Bill. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so Vivica A. Fox is a wonderful actress, but I just thought to myself, why, why Vivica, did you decide to do this film and play <laughs> this, this, you know, demeaning almost kind of, 90s sex kitten. That was something I just did not understand. Also, misbehaving. I mean, who came up with that? Yeah,
1: yeah. But I think that, But I mean, outside of just me being entertained by Arnold, I mean, the one thing that I, like, I get why people don't like that Mr. Freeze. I mean, when you think of Victor Freeze, I mean, he is this world-renowned, smart, scientists to be able to manipulate, you know, ice, water, and freeze and just being able to do that and his research, you know, really dove deep to when his uh when his wife ended up getting sick and him trying to find the cure for his wife and everything. Um and though like I said they did try to incorporate that into this storyline. It's like you got you you casted Arnold. As much as I love Arnold, I'm never gonna look at Arnold Schwarzenegger as the smart scientist guy and that's I think that's it was just the kid like it's one of those things like Arnold's character his charisma who he is as a person overshadowed the character of Mr. Freeze so it really just it, I, I we literally just saw Arnold Schwarzenegger cosplaying as Mr. Freeze it was that's all we saw
0: <laughs> exactly and, and they do actually point out I believe in at one point uh, batman says you know he was like a triathlon athlete you know athlete, gold medalist and all this kind of thing I'm like wow this guy can win gold medals he also has a million phds it's like right. yeah it's, it's it's any any guy would love to be this man and granted we had seen something similar when it came to batman forever with two faces sugar and spice you know going back to the misbehaving story and their exchange right. was just ridiculous but apparently Joel Schumacher wanted a Nordic feel to this Mister Freeze, and that's why he cast Arnie with his familiar, you know, Teutonic accent. But uh, and of course, going back to the toy elements, you know, we can see how toyetic
1: both oh. Arnie's armor, the gun, the snow yeah. reveal—it's it's toys. Yep, that's it. It's toys, and if you 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 put a button on the back, and he can say all the things. Oh, chill out. <laughs> press the button <laughs> you know it's like time to chill and all just like just everything that he said is literally a button that you if you press the button on the on the action figure he's going to say it and his suit's going to light up and it's going to look cool in the dark because it'll glow in the dark or <laughs> <so>. <laughs> exactly and but and also
0: what is, one thing i would just i was just like oh my god this has just gone another level of cheeses is, what is with mr freeze wearing a dressing gown smoking a cigar? And conducting his henchmen in a rendition of Frosty the Snowman.
1: I think that that was, I, that, I believe that that was Arnold's choice. So there, <laughs> we've talked about, so on, on my podcast, we talked about there's certain actors that like when you cast them, they are going to have things that they're going to do and the company is going to go with Right, so like you know, Samuel Jackson's one of them. We talk about like how like he what he does well is it he, like he'll tell the director like okay I'll do it your way, but then I'm going to do it my way as well in the second take, and you're going to like my way. And they always pick his way, but it's Samuel Jackson, right? So at that time, Arnold Schwarzenegger was big enough. I bet you that he was like okay, hey, I need a moment where I have uh you know I have pretty much like this ice robe, and I need to smoke an ice cigar and this is this is going to be that this is going to be the 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 super this is going to be the badass scene then i need to look i need this part and i think that that's where a lot of that comes from like i think that that was arnold's choice (laughs) if you could very well be right and interestingly enough in fact i you know
0: to go back to the very beginning of the movie with the opening credits arnold's name is the first one that comes out before even george clooney's so it goes to show you You know, Mm -hmm. how much, you know, Okay, we'll even give you top, top billing on this one. Yeah. And and added to that, you know, you touched up on this. We have the tragic, jarring story of his of his love story of him and his wife, Nora, which was, you know, lifted from the award winning heart of ice from the animated TV series of Batman. One of my all time favorite double partners from that show And I have to hand it to Arnie as he was clearly having a blast with this part and he spouted every single ice pun from the Iceman cometh to chill with such gusto that it was hard for me not to crack a grin. So let's, I mean, I guess we could say deuces that this might not necessarily be our Mr. Freeze, but we could probably appreciate Arnold for the effort.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and as bad as the listeners will feel when I say this, I actually found the scene in which Freeze gives Batman the pills to cure Alfred, rather heartwarming. I think that was one of the redemption moments of the Mr. Freeze character. Because thing, yeah. you saw that Ar- Arnold was really acting his heart out on that in that moment. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, that whole take two pills and call me in the morning. Granted, very cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I felt that was a, a nice sort of turn for the character, you know. And, and, yeah. But... But you know, I guess, I guess uh, if you take this character, as if you're watching what Nolan gave us, your patience with our fr- frosty fiend will thaw very quickly. Yeah. Um, so, at this point, Deuces, any final thoughts on the movie before we
1: move forward? Um, I mean, like I said, it's it it's still as bad as we remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is. That's that. It's it's still as bad as it remember as we remember. Um, but I. I I'm on record on saying that I feel like if we got like, you know, the Nolan movies with certain aspects of this movies, it, like it would it would enhance like the Batman that we the Batman movies that we got. I think like I said my biggest thing is like those old movies is I still really, really love the Gotham that we got in those movies just because the feel, the look like it looked like a city that you don't want to be in. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that I still take from those movies. Um, and then, like, I appreciate at least the director trying to give us some fan service. So, like, trying to give us the characters that we love, and like, you know, because I think now, like, movie directors nowadays, they're so much invested in. All right, we, we got to do the trilogy. We got to put this Easter egg here, and then we're we're gonna hint at this person, this character, or this villain here, but this villain won't show up until the third movie. I felt like in this one, it was like, all right, let's just give them everything. And so I kind of appreciate that part of it. So like I found, I found myself finding different aspects to appreciate in the movie, versus like I mean, knowing like the, knowing that the movie was you know it's a crap show, but uh, just being able to say okay yeah this is this this is that um I right, I like this part of it I like this part. So like like I said the Gotham the giving us the characters I do like it. I want to double back on one thing because we talked about Coolio. and I was looking it up. Did you know that Coolio was supposed that 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 was supposed to be Scarecrow in the next movie? I
0: yeah, I had heard something about that. I thought I thought it cost him to do something else, but wow, that would have been really
1: interesting. <laughs> Coolio
0: as the Scarecrow. Wow. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, they were supposed to be the sequel to this one, to this Batman and this Batman. It was supposed to be called Batman Unchained, and Coolio was supposed to be scare. Was going to be courted to be Scarecrow. So that, so there's that.
0: (laughs) There is that. It's the movie we'll never sadly get to see.
1: But other than that, like I said, yeah, it's, I mean, still, like I said, it's still bad as we we thought. But if you go into it, rewatching it with just, all right, let me see, let me try to understand the path that they were going. You can find a few things that you like about this movie. Very well said, you know, and I would I would also like to touch up on the two
0: major gripes with this film folks have had, i.e. the nipples, the butt shots and the codpiece shots, because (laughs) my teenage self and I'm sure those who know me must be blown away by hearing me even trying to defend this film, even in the face of such a threadbare defense. But hear me out. When it comes to the nipples, okay, I still cannot even understand. And Schumacher said he wanted to copy the statuesque busts of Greco-Roman sculpture. But it doesn't mean that if it works in sculpture, it will work in a superhero film. So right. I, have no, I have no defense for that. Do you have a defense for the, for the, the bat nipples, uh, Deuces? No, it was,
1: that's the thing. Like, it was, I mean, I, based off of what you just told me, still doesn't make any sense but like it's it was, it was one of those things that it just it, it was there and I was like why why was that the design choice like who saw the bat the the uh, the bat suit and she was like okay you know what the suit is missing I think we need to make sure that the nipples show like I just I don't get it I didn't get it then I don't get it now <laughs> me either and,
0: uh, on, and, and you know when it comes to butt and codpiece shots well, it's clearly a tongue-in-cheek parody, I think, of suiting up scenes, you know, because yep. they were very popular in the 80s and 90s. You think of Commando, you think of Rambo. And, yep. uh, you know, and, and I actually did not mind that as much as others might have. But once again, I was trying to watch it with the mindset of, of a homage to the 60s Batman. The problem is that Schumacher, when he did these shots, his intent was to make it sexy. Yep, How is that sexy exactly?
1: <laughs> well, to, yeah, so... Uh, so a lot of how the movies went I do, I, so I blame Danny DeVito on some of this. Oh. Because, so I, re- I, re- I read something and it was saying that um, Danny DeVito, his portrayal of Penguin was so over the top that then the next movie they was like, okay, we need to tone it down. It needed to be more family friendly. Right? So and then that was what, what was that Batman Forever, right? Yep. yep. So then Batman Forever was toned down. It was a little bit more family friendly. And then I believe that batman forever they was like oh okay well we need to at least now we're getting a little bit more popular but we need to also make sure that we appeal to the women because we can't you know and so i that's this is where i think that the sexiness and the butt shots came it was like, all right so we got george clooney women love george clooney women probably love george clooney but let's get the butt <laughs> shot <laughs> i think that's i think that literally that's where the thought process went
0: Oh, yeah, of course, because who, who doesn't love, you know, of course, it's nice butt shots in in tight leather. I mean, that's <laughs> it, it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get to ratings here, deuces. Where does this movie rate for you on the scale of one to ten?
1: One to ten. Oh, yeah. man. OK, all right, <sighs> man. OK, I'm it's, it's, it's going to be by like a mid four and a five. And and the only reason that I'm there at that high, and I consider that high for this movie, is because, like I said, one, I mean, I take take in consideration of the times. uh, We didn't really have a lot of superhero properties to go off of. And the nostalgia for me to see Batman in it, I mean, granted, we had some Batman movies beforehand that was was done better. But I was just, I was still a sucker for anything Batman in the live action, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And even though the vehicles were 100% toy-made properties, um, I was okay with it. I was okay with it just to have, because, you know, when it comes down to the vehicles, like, yeah, we have our classic Batmobile. We have our, you know, what we know about. But it was just like, it's one of those things like, yeah, give me as many vehicle variants um, as possible. Like, I, I like to see the different variations of the Batmobile, different variants uh, of just any type of, vehicle that is within Gotham or within the superhero realm so I was okay with that um again like I told you like you know that Gotham I really liked how that Gotham was portrayed even though there was a lot of campy fields I just still like that whole you know that how that was portrayed um and then yeah you know um yeah so I'll give it a probably about a four and a half a five
0: well, that's that's still a good a, you know a good score there, I would say, Deuces. I'm, I'm actually going to go one better and give it a 6 out of 10, as I enjoyed it as a spoofy homage to the 60s Batman TV series, which was a big part of my childhood, and which most certainly was one of the, those elements that actually made me fall in love with the superhero genre and comics. And granted, you'll probably get no enjoyment at all from this if you watch it straight. And I'm right. hoping for the Dark Avenger style of Batman. But I think if you're a fan of the campier, cheesier incarnation of Batman, you'll get a couple of kicks out of this film, I think. Yep. You know, so, and th- 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 at this point, let's get to reading recommendations. Did you have any stories you would like to suggest? Any Batman stories that our listeners should check out?
1: Um, so, I don't know if you already recommended it or anything, but for me, one of the stories that I really, really love is the Dark Knights series. The ones where, this is where, around the area where we get introduced to the Batman who laughs, um, and just like DC metal and just that whole everything that they introduce, um, I think that that storyline is so amazing. Um, and like even though like I know that the Batman who laughs um, became like everybody's favorite, I I I hope that we get some um, some love to the Red Death, which is the Flash fused incarnation of Batman. Um, because like when you know the whole series the whole series and the premise of it is, is like we all know Batman has a contingency plan for the Justice League and we know that you know he's so he has that ready right and so when he, they when they find this dark multiverse of the, of the world and Batman is trying to uncover this uh ancient you know prophecy that he found um he goes you know in, in Batman's form he's like okay in order to stop this I need to you know, I need to understand all these aspects of it, and then you start seeing all these different dark versions of Batman take out specific members of the Justice League, but infuse themselves in power, right? So, or and <laughs> infuse themselves in so like you got, you know, you have like the Red Death, like that storyline in general. What he did to Flash, like I'm like, yes, this shows you how psycho Batman is. Because I've been on record saying Batman is my favorite, but I understand that he's psycho and crazy. I would never want to be on his team because I don't want him to have a contingency plan on me, and then. Depending on how he views whatever I do, he may think that I'm I'm a threat and then take me out, cause that's what Batman does. And but like just to give I, I don't wanna spoil the story. This I wanna tell what, what he does to, to Barry Allen. Because in one this evil Batman, what he wants to do is he wants the speed force. And in order to get the speed force, he asks Barry to help him tap into it. And Barry's like, No, you I don't want Batman to be uh, to either even know how to manage and operate the Speed Force, so then he knocks, he knocks Barry out. He straps him to the front of the Batmobile, and he drives as fast as he can to open and breach the Speed Force. And that spirit and that Speed Force then infuses with Batman, and he becomes Red Death. And the first thing that he does is he goes super fast to kill all the villains that that was going against Batman, and he becomes this craziness, Batman that is the Red Death. Like I said, just I, the thing. <laughs> that right there, I,
0: I'm like, that is crazy. <laughs> it is. It's insane. And I definitely I mean, will uh, um, endorse that for sure. As in, uh, definitely check out, people, definitely check out the Dark Knight series. It's actually, it's incredible. Like you were saying, it gave us the Batman Who Laughs, which has now become extremely popular. You know, everybody just loves this character to death. Um, uh, did you have any other any other suggestions, deuces? Or if not, I'll, I'll give
1: mine. Another, well, um. Uh, I don't know. The Death of the Family was one of my favorite Batman's as well, too. Um, I think that yeah, I think I think that one because like um, that shows you uh, it's one of those storylines that really gets into like between him and um, him and Joker. Yeah. Like uh, any story that really shows the Joker going like going as extreme as he do. Because I think there's a misconception people like, when they talk about, like, greatest villains and everything about, and and the Joker, um, I've seen it where people are like, oh, man, you know, it's like, so right now, everybody's on a Thanos high, which I mean, granted, Thanos is, uh, you know, he's one of the most powerful beings with the Infinity Gauntlet, but everybody's on this high, and then, like, you know, uh, some people give Joker their props, people, they always say, well, Joker, you know, he doesn't have any powers, you know, he's just, you know, he's just causing havoc, and I said, no, if you, like, the reason why Joker is so great is because he literally does not have any rhyme or reason to what he wants to do as far as like take over. His one thing, yeah, he had well, depending on which version, he has two things. He wants to prove to Batman that he is just as crazy as him. So, and then his, the like the, the the inside joke is he's like, look, you are just as crazy as me and you don't want to break your golden rule into the killing. I'm going to force you into killing because you, yeah, you're literally the same as me. You You want to kill, but you just, you force yourself not to. And then he's like, I can kill your family and you won't kill me when you should. And so it's like that whole death of the family and just like Joker pushing every button on Batman, like that is a really, that is a really good um, um, I think it's like 24, 23 maybe issues with that um, that arc, but that is a really good story arc for Batman.
0: Oh, I totally agree with you. I absolutely love that one as well. And when it actually comes to me, well, to kind of tie into this film and try to give some seriousness to these characters i would actually suggest our readers if you want of course find out more about these characters batman poison ivy from 97 which is by john francis moore and was drawn by brian apthorpe when gotham the gotham businessman destroys ivy's island paradise she sets out to destroy everything he loves no matter whom she has to kill to do it that's batman Uh poison ivy from 97. Also uh, Batman, Mr. Freeze from 97 that was written by Paul Dini and drawn by Mark Buckingham like Batman Poison Ivy. This issue was released as one of the full one shot graphic novels to coincide mm-hmm. with the release of the 97 Batman and Robin movie. The covers to all four issues actually interlock to form one composite image in the order of Batman Bane, Batman Batgirl and Batman Poison Ivy. In this Batman, right. Mr. Freeze from 97. The only thing Victor Freeze ever loved was taken away from him. And now he's out to destroy the only things Batman cares about. Law and Order, Gotham City, and Robin. That's Batman Mr. Freeze from 97. And finally, for a serious take on Bane, folks, check out Vengeance of Bane from from 93 by Chuck Dixon and drawn by Graham Nolan. He's the sole survivor of the Venom experiments. Bane has spent a lifetime on the South American island of Santa Prisca. This time he he spent as the toughest inmate in their worst prison led to him to develop berserk strength, savage intellect. Remember, savage intellect. The guy is intelligent and unparalleled Mm -hmm. megalomania. Now free, he sets his sights on Gotham City. So that's Vengeance of Bane from 93 by Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan. and, And following that, folks, check out one of my all time favorite story arcs, Batman Nightfall. That's uh, uh, Batman from 491 to 497 and Detective Comics 659 to 663. Definitely worth your time. So, Deuces, now we selflessly promoted stories, let's get to shameless self-promotion. <laughs>
1: when, it can,
0: when it comes to you and the great work that you do, where can our fine listeners find you on the interwebs?
1: Okay, so there's two things that I'm doing that's currently running coincide. First thing I want to talk about is my podcast, which is called the Geek Set Podcast the only podcast that blend hip-hop culture and geek culture together. Um, we talk about everything from movies, comic books, anime, video games, and we kind of just add that urban hip-hop flair to it as well. So we talk about, like, music, and, you know, it's just, like, different comparisons that I feel like in the realm of the geek um in the, in the geek realm that is not touched upon. So the re- one of the reasons that we started the podcast is because I mean you know we are African American and there's always this um, there's always there there's this stigma about geeks is that like they're you know they're they're, they're uncool or, you know there'll be you know a white, skinny white guy with glasses and it's like no that is not all the geeks of the world there are so many. Geeks that are of different culture, different races, different backgrounds, and what's funny is, is that once you, once you are at these conventions and you see each other, no matter what your race, religion, sexuality it is, once you start talking about the geek properties, that conversation gets very, very intense, and every and but everybody's on the same playing field. It's a level of love and it's a level of um, connection, right? And so you know. Me and my me and my buddies, you know, we'll, you know, whether we're at the barbershop, whether we're just, you know, playing video games, we have very intense conversations about these properties, you know, anime, video games, comic books. Um, but when I watched or when we watched all these shows and, you know, though respect to everybody that did it before us, we didn't see that representation or people that talked like us discussing these. So we wanted to fill that bucket and we wanted to fill that. So we did that. And it's been it's been really interesting because, you know, both both um, communities, both cultures, the geek culture and hip hop culture, there's a lot of similarities. You know, a lot of it, both of them were outcasted at first. Both of them were looked down upon, you know, hip hop in, 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 uh, in its creation at first was, oh, that's not real music. And in geek, oh, you know, you guys are not part of society. You guys are you know, you guys still watch cartoons. You like anime, you like that weird stuff. And so we we had a lot of similarities. But now, if you look at it, two of the biggest, most dominant cultures right now, geek culture and hip-hop. Everybody loves the Marvel movies. Everybody loves the DC properties. Everybody loves Harry Potter and Star Wars. Everybody loves the you know hip-hop and the style, the graffiti, the dance, the music, the sound, the, the you know... Um, the the memes, the words, and it blends so perfectly right now. And so, uh, you know, it's one of those things. Like, yes, the two most down talk communities is now the most popular and dominant community. If you don't have them, if your movie is not based off of a graphic novel, or. or or a comic book, or or an anime, you're gonna have a hard time being a blockbuster hit these days. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's one of those things that I love. I love what's going on right now, and you know, we've been accepted by both communities. We we drop our podcast every two weeks. It's on every podcast platform. And on every Tuesday, we drop uh, today. Earlier today, we re- like I said we recorded. We talked about um, anime MK, which is an anime convention that comes to Milwaukee, where I'm based out of. We covered it as press. to talk up with a lot of cool people talk with a lot of cool cosplayers um and then right now we're gearing up with c2e2 so we'll be at c2e2 in chicago covering the same thing as press interviewing everybody but yeah geek set podcast on every platform check us out um and then my music um so what's also interesting about the podcast is it's consisted of producers and artists i'm an artist one of my the two the two other hosts are producers and my other host um he's a music engineer um, so I just currently released the album that is inspired by my father. He used to do music back in the day. Um, and in helping clean out the basement of my parents' house, I found one of his old rap books. In that rap book, he had a song called The Dream. It was kind of like a, a, it was a paying homage to Dr. Martin Luther King. It was the first rap that I learned as a kid. I used to perform it at every Black History program. And so what I did was I took his rap book, And he had seven songs in there. I took the titles of those seven songs and used those as inspiration for seven songs off this album. The album's called Son of a Soldier. Um, Put that out, and that's been what I've been currently promoting and pushing. I'm working on some music videos for it now. But um, like I said, my young deuces, I'm on every platform as well, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal. Um, You can find it. You can find um, all – I just did a really cool interview with this other – property called Artist Eats, where they interview me over uh, over some good food, and I talk about the album. But youngdeuces.com, that is my website. You can find everything music-related there. Geeksheadpodcast.com, you can find everything podcast-related there. And yeah, that is the happy world and blending of Young Deuces. Well,
0: well, my people, what, what's left to be said, all I can say is be, definitely be sure to check out Young Deuces, the As an Artist, and also his Geek Set podcast. Definitely worth your time. And of course, if you want to be like Young Deuces and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness. You can also follow us on Twitter, where we're at High Darkness Pod, or on Instagram under Him Darkness. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, if being generous, you can hit the donate button on SoundCloud.com/whiskeyandcigarettes, or become patrons of ours on Patreon. That's Patreon.com/happinessanddarkness. We really appreciate that. Any donators will be able to pick the movie we next discuss, even pick one of the recurring co-hosts we discuss it with, or come on the show themselves to discuss the movie of their choice. Also, as always, we want to thank, uh, of course, our great video maker, David Moreno, the mad scientist behind all the great episode trailers you can find on our Facebook page. Be sure to subscribe to his Nostalgia channel on YouTube. The man does great work. That's Nostalgia channel, all in capitals. And speaking of things to come next week, we'll be joined by Xan Sprouse, who has chosen the 1980 Mike Hodges film Flash Gordon. That said, when it comes to you, deuces. Once again, I look forward to having you back here on Happiness and Darkness, and I certainly thank you for joining me today.
1: I, mean, I appreciate you guys having me. It was it, it was a blast, man. I, I love what you're doing. Like I said anything that's in, in these properties and and that's that's doing the work of just discussing some of these things that we that we love so much. I love it. Um, the conversation was great. I love your insight on it. And yeah, I, I appreciate, you know, all the listeners that have, that's, that's listening that may happen to go, you know, check out what we're doing and what I'm doing over my places. Um, but if, if, if even those who don't, if you just like this episode and just like to hear what I, you know, I appreciate that as well, man, you know, we, we are a community and we all got to continue to to operate as a community and work with each other. So, yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm very, very grateful to be here.
0: Oh well, amen. You know, I definitely agree with you, Deuces. It's all about, you know, supporting each other. And you know, as you said, it's one big community, one big family. And so I think that's that's the best. You couldn't have put it, I couldn't put it better myself. And so definitely I agree, folks, you know, even other podcasters listening be sure to do this kind of you know, crossing over and stuff because it's great fun and also you're supporting each other and, and I think that's what it's all about. Well, folks, thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next week with Zan Sprouse and Flash Gordon. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people. Hey.